following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are going to carry on this morning in our series in the book of Genesis. And so, uh, just to pick up where we left off with the series, because we, uh, we skipped this last week for good reason, uh, but we've been working our way through the early chapters in the book of Genesis, and uh, we've, got, we've gotten through 11 chapters so far, which is a pretty good effort. It took us about a year to do it, but uh, we've covered some ground. And so the, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 12 this morning. But uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are all really one story. They're, they're one unit. They're one section of the book of Genesis. And it is the first major section in the book and, of course, the first major section in the Bible. And really what it is in the, in the story that we've been working through over the last little while is the story of God creating the heavens and the earth, God creating humanity, and then humanity rebelling against God, usurping God's authority uh, and rejecting him and then declaring their own independence and their own autonomy. And as a result, we've seen the devastation that that's caused. We've seen the, the catastrophic effects of that as that initial act of sin has rippled out and out and out and out and affected the entirety of humanity, affected the entirety of God's good creation, uh, affected the entirety of the human person. And, we've, and it's been a bit of a sorry story to look at, but that's the story that we've been looking at. And there's been glimpses of hope, of course, all the way through that. But we've covered that ground, and, and that all came to a, a climax a couple of weeks ago with the Tower of Babel, uh, with humanity just banding together essentially against God and trying to make a name for themselves. So we've dealt with all of that. And then we get now to chapter 12 in the book of Genesis, and this is a really pivotal turning point. So this is uh, the first, really the first major, major plot point, turning point, intersection in the Bible. And you will hopefully notice the difference from the kind of somber mood of chapters 1 to 11 and the story of sin, now turning a corner to a note of hope, to a note of, of new possibility, and a much more forward-looking story now. So Genesis, beginning of Genesis 12, is a major pivotal hinge in the biblical story. So that's where we're going to be, first nine verses of Genesis 12, and uh, Sam Carter is going to come and read this passage to us. Thank you, Sam. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Thanks, Sam. 
All right, I thought we'd start with a few stats this morning, okay? Those of you that are statisticians, here's something for you. So I think we've got a graph, next slide, uh, deal of, of uh, total world population by world religion, okay? So at the mo- as it stands at the moment, total world population around about 7.7 billion people on the planet, okay? Of that total, you've got there, you probably can't quite see the number, but Christianity is 31.5%. All right, these are estimates, okay? It's hard to be exact, at least people claiming to be a Christian. 31.5%, so that's roughly 2.5 billion people on the planet, okay? Calling themselves Christians these days. Uh, you have 22.3% Islam, so about 1.7 billion Muslims on the planet, and 0.02% Judaism. I'll highlight that for a particular reason, which is 154 million people. What that means is, just to take those three, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, that adds up to over 50% of the world's population. Over 50% of the people on the globe are either Christian Muslim or Jewish, okay? And the reason that is significant for this story is that all three of those religions trace their lineage back to this man that we're looking at this morning, Abraham, okay? All three, that's why they are called the Abrahamic religions, because in one way or another, if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Jew or you subscribe to Judaism, you are going to claim Abraham in some way, as your spiritual father, either by, by, direct, uh, by biological lineage or by spiritual lineage. You're going to claim Abraham as your father. He is the father of those three faiths. And that means over 50% of the people today on the planet have a significant connection, one way or another, to this guy that we're looking at in Genesis 12. So that makes Abraham a pretty interesting guy, a pretty significant person, right? I mean, people, people that you know at your work might not know who Abraham is. You say Abraham, they're just going to think Abraham Lincoln or some other Abraham. Uh, The average secular non-Christian New Zealander is not going to have this name recognition. But if you step back globally and look at the picture, over half the world's population has a significant connection to Abraham and claims him as the father of their faith in some way. So if you want to understand uh, worldviews today, if you want to understand the way people think globally, I mean, if you want to understand... Uh, the stories that people are living out of, the big stories that are going on in the world today. If you want to understand religion and religious movements and the way people are thinking and the values people hold, uh, you can't really find a better starting place than looking at this guy, looking at Abraham, because a lot has come from him. And I think in the wake of the Christchurch events, one thing that we're seeing, and it may be, may be short term, is an increased interest or awareness of different religions. Um, religious diversity and an understanding of what different religions believe. And again, you can't do much better than starting with this guy, Abraham. And by the way, I'm going to call him Abraham. I know he's called Abraham in your text this morning, and he, he later his name becomes Abraham. I just know that if I try and call him Abraham, I'm going to keep calling him Abraham anyway. So we're just going to start with Abraham. So Abraham's a significant figure. He's a significant figure in the history of humanity, in the history of world religions. Uh, he's a very significant figure in the whole biblical story. Uh, he enters the scene here in Genesis 12. And then from this point, he just casts a huge shadow over the whole Bible. And time and time and time again, people are referring back to Abraham, long after his lifetime. 
Right through the Old Testament, people are constantly drawing back to Abraham. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is talking about Abraham. Paul can't stop talking about Abraham through his letters. Constantly, the Bible is referring back to this one man. And so his influence in the biblical story is massive. So it is very helpful for us as Christians to get our head around who he is and what place he has in the biblical story. So we're going to be looking at his life over the, over the next few weeks. Um, some of these passages from Genesis 12 and following. And the interesting thing, I think one of the interesting things, as you look at Genesis 12, is that given how significant he is, given what a huge figure Abraham is, biblically and historically, when you look at his actual beginnings, his story in Genesis 12, he just seems like such an ordinary guy. I mean, we think, you know, Father Abraham, but you, you look at how he's described. He has this brief little family lineage in, in chapter 11, uh, but he's not, he doesn't have any particular pedigree. He's not of a family of any particular repute. Uh, he has no great claim to fame. He's not particularly significant in and of himself. He's just a guy. He's just an ordinary man living life. Uh, and in fact, he's had his share of struggles, Abraham, by this point in his life. He's about 75 years old, and uh, he's married to Sarah or Sarai, and they're unable to have kids. So Sarah's struggling with infertility. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are unable to have children at this point, so that, that's a heartbreak for them. And at this point in his life, Abraham has also lost a brother, and he has lost a father. And so he is, he's had his share of struggles. He's already experienced his share of pain. He's kind of struggling through life. He's at this point living in a place called Haran. He's just trying to do his best. He's trying to make things work for his, his extended family, and he's settling down there. And he probably thinks he's just going to live out his days there and just do what he's doing. And then one day, God appears to Abraham and makes these incredible promises to him. Verse 2, God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you, if you look at those promises that God makes to him, there, there is one word here that really stands out in terms of what God is promising Abraham. There's one word that just keeps being repeated. It is the word bless, yes, or blessed, or blessing. Yeah, all variations of one word. It's the Hebrew word abarek. And it just means to, to show favor to somebody, to show kindness to someone, to show love or to praise someone or to show high regard for someone. And God shows up and says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to show incredible favor to you. I'm going to show incredible kindness to you uh, for, for no other reason than God's own sovereign choice. There's nothing about Abraham that's worthy of this. There's nothing about Abraham. He hasn't positioned himself in some way to make this more tenable. He, he's just a guy. And God makes these promises and just reaches down and chooses this guy, this family, to have an incredible role in the whole redemptive story that's going to flow from here. So God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And the nature of the blessings that he makes or gives promises to Abraham, there are three of them. First of all, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. So he promises that Abraham's going to be the head of a great nation, uh, that from Abraham will come this people, this significant nation. He'll be the father of a nation, and that nation will be blessed by God, and it will exist in privileged relationship with God. It will have a unique and a special and a privileged relationship with God. So you can, you can start to hear where the story's going. And then God says, not only will I make you a great nation, I will give you a great name. I will make your name great, Abraham. And those of you that were here a couple of weeks ago, you think of the contrast this is with the Tower of Babel story. Do you remember in that story? 
Uh, what were the people trying to do? They were trying to make a name for themselves. It was all about making a name for themselves and trying to elevate themselves in the eyes of others. And now here's God saying, Abraham, you don't need to do that. You don't need to make a name for yourself. I will make your name great. I will establish you. I will give you high regard in the eyes of others. I will give you esteem in the eyes of others. Uh, I will do this, Abraham. You don't need to do that for yourself. So he promises to give Abraham a great name. And then he promises a little further down in the passage, he promises Abraham that he will give him a great land. So he says, this is down in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Uh, And that's the land Abraham was in, which is the land of Canaan. And that is more or less equivalent to the modern nation of Israel. It's a specific piece of land on the edge of the Mediterranean, nice piece of real estate there. And God says, Abraham, to you, to your descendants, I will give that land. And that, that promise there, that particular verse, that has become then a very central text in the whole ongoing land disputes between the Israelis, the Palestinians, and so on. It all traces back to this. So that's another sermon for another time, but that's a pivotal text in that debate. So a great nation, a great name, and a great land, these three incredible promises. And then God gives the reason for making all of these promises, the reason for all these blessings. It all sort of comes down to this. At the end of verse 3, this this brief little statement, he says, And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Or some of your translations may say, All nations on earth will be blessed through you. So this is the reason for which God is making these promises. Right? The promises are not the end in themselves. These blessings are not an end in themselves. They are a means to an end. And that end goal is that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. So God's saying, Abraham, you're not just going to be blessed in order to be blessed. Right? You're not just going to be blessed to hoard the blessing. This is not just so that you can hog all the blessing and hog all the limelight and have a great life and become a great nation. No, no, Abraham, you are going to be blessed so that you will be a blessing. So that through you, all nations will be blessed. So that through you and through the family and then through the nation that comes of you, all peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. That's the point, Abraham. That's the agenda. That's what God is doing here. And so for the first time now in the biblical story, we get a glimpse of how God is going to deal with the problem of sin and evil. Because for the first 11 chapters of the Bible, it's all been the curse of sin. And we've seen the devastation that the curse has wrecked on human history. And we've just seen the way that it's just completely shattered human relationship with God and one another. And nothing seems to be able to sort it out. The flood couldn't sort it out. Noah couldn't sort it out. Uh, Shem couldn't sort it out. Just keeps going on and on and on. This, This devastation, the curse of sin just cannot be removed. And then we now see in chapter 12, God is saying, here's how I'm going to do it. Here's the plan, Abraham. This is how I'm going to deal with the problem of sin, the problem of evil, the problem of the curse that has fallen upon this world. And it's going to be through you. It's going to be through this one couple, then one family, and then one nation. It is going to be through you that now the curse is undone. And my blessing, God says, will again flow. Flow out to all nations. Here's how it's going to happen. So really, this verse is so incredibly important in the whole biblical story. This passage, I think, should be in your list of top five Bible verses. It's not one that often makes the list, but it is so vitally important because what you have, and particularly at the end of verse 3 there, is the agenda for the rest of the entire biblical story. No overstatement to say that. 
This sets the scene. It sets the trajectory for the entire rest of the biblical story. You could say that the rest of the Bible is all the story of God fulfilling these promises to Abraham. How is God going to bless all nations through Abraham? Well, he gets to work, and it's a long story, and there are many twists and turns, but that is the story of the Scriptures. That's our faith story, and it's a story that's ongoing today. And it all comes back to Abraham. It all comes back to these promises. So let me just quickly tease this out for you in terms of how we get from Abraham to all these blessings and promises today. So from Abraham, Abraham and Sarah eventually do have a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so from Abraham comes the nation of Israel. You awake? Israel. Yes. And Israel, God calls them as a nation. They are a significant nation. They have this privileged relationship with God. And so we have the first of those promises fulfilled. And Israel, of course, looks back to Abraham with great honor and great esteem and great regard because he is the father of their, of their faith, of, of, their, of their nation. And so Abraham has a great name in the eyes of the Jewish people and many others. And so the second promise is fulfilled. And as Israel becomes a nation, God enters into covenant with them and leads them into this land, the land of Canaan. They eventually drive out their enemies. They settle in the land, and it becomes their possession. And so the third of those promises is fulfilled. I will give you a great land. One, two, three. They all get fulfilled as the Old Testament progresses. Now, if you are a Jew, if you're a Jewish person, then that's as far as it goes. Then you look at the Old Testament and you say, yes, I can see that by the end of the Old Testament, God has fulfilled his promises to Abraham because he's made a great nation of Abraham. He's given Abraham a great name and he has led them into a great land. One, two, three, done. And you draw the line right there. That's, that's what happens within Judaism. But as Christians, we know there is more to the story, don't we? Anybody know that? That there is more to the story than the end of the Old Testament. And we see that there is a much greater fulfillment of these promises than just the Old Testament. Because what we recognize is that from Abraham comes Israel, and out of Israel comes Jesus. That ultimately, that's where the story is heading. This one particular Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus was a son of Abraham, Yes, he, he could trace his lineage just like any other good Jew. He knew that he is part of that chosen people. He's part of this nation. He's a son of Abraham. And yet what Jesus does through his life, and particularly through his death on the cross, is he extends God's blessing, not just to the nation of Israel, but to all peoples on the earth. And he does that by absorbing the curse, the curse of sin upon himself, not just for Israel, for every single person, of every single nation. And then he makes it possible for God's blessing to flow out to all peoples, beyond just the confines of the Jewish nation, they're certainly included, but beyond the original nation, now to all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, through Jesus, God's blessing flows throughout the earth, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And that's the significance of the day of Pentecost that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. That the Spirit of God is now poured out upon all people. That God's blessing is moving beyond just the original nation of Israel to include all peoples of the earth. And so now, by placing our faith in Jesus, we become included in those promises. And that's what's happening. When a person places their faith 
in Jesus today? What's happening? Well, they're becoming a Christian, that's true. But there's more, isn't there? According to this story, when a person places their faith in Jesus, they are becoming a son of Abraham. Aren't they? They're becoming a daughter of Abraham. They're becoming a child of Abraham because they're becoming part of this huge family now through Jesus. That, that's, we are now by faith in Jesus. We, the blessing that God has given to Abraham is now being extended out to us. We are the living fulfillment of these promises. So not, not many of you in the room today are going to be Jewish. If you are, then you can say, biologically, you are ultimately a descendant of Father Abraham. But even those of us that aren't, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you can still say, Abraham is my father. I'm a son or a daughter of Abraham, not by natural descent, but through the blood of Jesus. I'm now a son or daughter of Abraham spiritually through Jesus Christ. That's the family that you enter. And it's a great thought that when we become a Christian, we are now the living fulfillment of these promises Jesus made all the way back in Genesis 12. Isn't that great? That we are fulfilling that. When God says, all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Who are the all nations? Us, right? Not just us, but all nations. New Zealand, Venezuela, Japan, all nations will be blessed through you. And every time someone bows the knee to Jesus, that promise is being fulfilled again and again and again. It's a story that is carrying on. In our family, we play this game with, there's a song called, does anyone know the song Father Abraham? That's a great one. And uh, so we, we sing that as a family. And the way that we usually do it is we get Ezra, who's our youngest, five years old. And uh, so he's on the bed and the rest of us four grab an arm or a leg of Ezra's. And then, do you know how, how the song goes? As, each, as you sing a verse, you start pulling on one arm. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. So you're pulling away one arm. Next verse, you start pulling on the other arm as well. Third verse, you're pulling on one leg as well. And then two legs, until his whole body's kind of shaking uncontrollably. He's laughing hysterically, and we do the final verse and then tell him to go to bed. And that's a great song, and we all love it. Now, that's a fun song. It's a fun kid's song, but that's also really good theology in there. Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. We shouldn't be gender biased and daughters. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? If you're a Christian this morning, you're a son or a daughter of Abraham. And this is what we need to realize, that our story is a great big story. It doesn't just go back to Jesus. It goes back to Abraham, and we are living out the fulfillment of these promises in Genesis 12. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, builds on this in Galatians 3. Just turn over here for a minute, because there's a fascinating verse I want to just touch on. In Galatians 3, verse 8. So this is Paul writing after life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's writing to Christians, and he says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So you see, Paul is quoting there from Genesis 12. He's quoting from the passage we're looking at today. And what he's saying is when God announced that to Abraham, what he was announcing is the gospel in advance. It's a great phrase, isn't it? The gospel in advance. So God made these promises because we, we think of the gospel as what? We, we think of it as... Steps to becoming a Christian. But what Paul is saying, no, no, no. 
The original gospel, if you think good news, what is the original gospel? It's all nations will be blessed through Abraham. That's the original promise. That's the original good news. Yes, that good news was fulfilled in and through Jesus. But that's the original promise. That was the good news. So when God announced this all the way back to Abraham, what he was actually doing was preaching the gospel. Isn't that a great thought? Preaching the gospel thousands of years before Jesus, God shows up and preaches the gospel to Abraham, preaches this good news of what is going to come down the track. One writer puts it this way. He says, For God so loved the world that he chose Abraham. That's an interesting thought, hey? It sounds strange to our ears because it's a paraphrase of John 3.16 and we're used to hearing, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's true. But this emphasizes the fact that Jesus doesn't just drop out of heaven from nowhere. He doesn't just enter into a nothingness. He comes as part of a story. He comes as the fulfillment of this great big story that goes all the way back to Father Abraham and beyond. But it certainly goes back to Abraham as the father of that faith. And so we now inherit those promises today. This is what I want us to grasp is the bigness of the story. This huge faith that we're a part of, which stretches back through Jesus all the way back to Abraham. Now, what, what difference does any of this make to us? What difference does any of this make to our lives here in the 21st century? Well, a significant difference, I think. Come back again to Genesis 12. As well as making some promises here to Abraham, God also asks something of Abraham. He calls Abraham to do something. And in fact, there are two things here in this passage that he asks of Abraham. The first one's easy to spot. It's right at the beginning of chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. The first word God says to Abraham, Go. Go from your country. So Abraham had to leave his homeland of Haran. Go from your people. So he had to leave his extended clan and go from your family. He had to even leave members of his family behind. God calls Abraham to go. And he doesn't even tell him where he's going. Do you notice this? He just says, just go to the land I will show you. That's like God telling you, just, just go, just drive to the airport, and I will, I will show you which flight to get on. That would do my head in. That would, I'm a planner. I'm a structure. I need to know exactly where I'm going at all times. Don't mess with the plan. I could not handle this. But God just says to Abraham, just go, Abraham, go. Uh, And I will show you. I mean, it would have been a lot easier if he'd at least say, we're going to Canaan. But he doesn't even say that at this point. He just says, go. Abraham has to make huge sacrifices here of his country, his people, his family. And he has to go to a place that is as yet unknown. And then the second commandment is a little harder to spot. But it's at the end of uh, verse 2. It's usually translated, and you will be a blessing. But in fact, the the sentence or the phrase is in the imperative, which means it would be better translated, and be a blessing. It's a command. It's an instruction. And be a blessing, Abraham. So in other words, God's saying, Abraham, you're not going to be passive in all of this. This is not going to happen without you. You are going to be active. I want you to be a blessing, Abraham. I want you to be a blessing to your family. I want you to pass this blessing on through the generations. I want the nation that comes from you to be a blessing to all nations. Abraham, you are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. So there's a very active calling that Abraham has here to go, to leave behind what's secure, to leave behind what's comfortable and safe, and to go and be a blessing, to take God's blessing to others, to his family, and eventually to 
the nations. And here we are, millennia later, as children of Abraham, sons and daughters of God, saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And now we inherit these promises and these commands. So we're the beneficiaries of these blessings, but we now also have these same commands addressed to us. And God looks to us and says, now, you're part of this family. You're part of the same family. Therefore, go and be a blessing. Just as I called Abraham to go and to be a blessing, I'm calling you today. I want you to go and be a blessing. What does that mean for us? It means different things than it meant for Abraham. But if we take that idea of going, it means leaving behind things that are familiar sometimes. It means leaving behind things that are safe, leaving behind things that might be comfortable, leaving behind things that are always known and certain and easy. And it means going away from those things and being a blessing. That is showing the love of God, sometimes sharing the love of God, expressing the love of God to people who don't know him and are yet to be part of his family. That's a calling every one of us has. If you're a son or daughter of Abraham, these are words to you today. I want you to go, says God. I want you to find the ways of going and being a blessing, showing my love, showing this blessing, taking this blessing. Don't, don't be a hoarder of the blessing. You're not just blessed to be blessed. You're blessed so that you would be a conduit of God's blessing to the world, to your neighbors, to your family, to the community, to the nation, to the world. This is God's call in our lives. And we do this in a range of ways. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, I think of Church Northwest, that the Hutchisons and the Taylors are pioneering starting in the middle of the year. And they are taking seriously these words of God to Abraham to go and to be a blessing. Some of them have literally left their country to be here. They are leaving behind a lot of what is safe and secure and familiar and easy. And they're going to a different part of the city and they're going to seek to incarnate the love of Jesus in that place and to show the love of God to those, uh, hopefully, who, who don't know him but will come to know him and to share that good news however and wherever they can. They are going and they are being a blessing. It's a great example of, of hearing the call of God just as he called Abraham. But of course, it's not just planting churches or being part of a church plant. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean going overseas. It can mean that, but it doesn't have to. It can also, this call, be very local. It can be very near. It doesn't necessarily mean going overseas. It may just mean going across town. It may just mean going across the street. Uh, I think it's a good question for Christians to ask in the wake of the Christchurch events. Is What does it mean now for me to go and to be a blessing? What does it mean for us to be a blessing to our Muslim neighbors at the moment? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? I got in contact this week with a couple of people from the Muslim community around us, and they're part of a group. I don't know whether you remember this, but there was a group of them that came to shore a few years ago. Do you remember that? And with the imam from Australia, the really tall guy. And uh, that, was, that was a great, interesting experience, and we had lunch with them afterwards. And honestly, I'd lost contact with them over the years, but I texted a couple of them this week and just reached out and, and, and expressed our sympathies and, and our support and dropped some flowers off. And they uh, let me know of this event they're having this afternoon at their community hall, which is like a vigil, some kind of vigil, I guess, to, to remember those who, whose uh, lives have been taken and those who are affected. And so I'm going to go along this afternoon, as are a few others from our leadership team. And honestly, I don't really quite know what to expect. I'm not sure, because this is a bit out of my comfort zone. It's easier to relate to them on, in our patch, isn't it? 
You know, do you honestly? You know, it's a bit easier when it's on our turf, so to speak. It's wrong use of language, but you know what I mean. When it's on our patch, it's a bit easier than when suddenly now I'm going to be in a in a, in a different situation in a different context. Um, but to me, this is one small way that I can seek to go, to leave my own comfort zone for a little while, and to seek to be a blessing. And I think each of us can be asking this question, is what does it mean for us? I, th- I think particularly for those who are living outside of Christchurch now, this is, the, this is the question, is what does it mean then to show the love of God to Muslim neighbors and friends and people that we may know or, or come into contact with? And when we do that, we don't need to fear that we are somehow giving up something in our faith. We don't need to fear that we are giving up our convictions as to what we believe or the, or the biblical story. It's not like we're stepping out of the biblical narrative to do that. We are embodying the biblical narrative when we do that, aren't we? We are following in the calling of Abraham to go and to be a blessing. We are following in the calling of Jesus to go and love our neighbors. Isn't that what he's called us to do? To love our neighbors. Uh, irrespective of who those neighbors are. This is what Jesus did. This is why I think he told that parable, that he would cross all kinds of religious lines, social lines, cultural lines, socioeconomic lines, cleanliness lines, in order to show God's love, in order to show kindness, in order to show them what the Heavenly Father looks like. And I think this is a question for Christians to wrestle with now, is what does it mean for me to go? It might mean, in some cases, going Abroad, in other cases, it will mean going across the street. In some cases, it will mean walking across a room to go. But it will still be a step because it will be leaving behind something that's safe, familiar, and comfortable, stepping into something that's a little less certain, but knowing that we do so with the Lord and in the name of Christ. And as we do that, we are following in the footsteps of Father Abraham. Let me just paint one final picture for you and then I'll stop talking. Uh, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, there's this incredible picture in Revelation 7 of the great multitude. And it's, it points us towards the day when Jesus returns and God makes all things new. And those who belong to Jesus, those who love Jesus, there's this great company of the redeemed, this great multitude that no one could count standing there around the throne. And uh, it says there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language gathered there, worshiping God and singing salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb, who is Jesus. And that is going to be this incredible multi-ethnic, multi-generational community of all those who belong to Jesus throughout history. And I've said this before, but I can imagine on that day, as we're all standing there, worshiping God, I can imagine God turning to Abraham, who's going to be there, by the way, along with us, right? And saying, you see, Abraham, I kept my promise. I promised you all the way back in Genesis 12. He probably won't say Genesis 12, because that won't mean anything to Abraham. I promised you all the way back when I appeared to you, Abraham, on that starry night, and told you to look up into the stars and see if you could count them, because that's how many descendants I would give you. When I promised you these things, Abraham, this is the day I had in mind. This is, this is the fulfillment, Abraham. This community, this is the great nation that has come from you. And it has come through Israel, and it has come through Jesus primarily. But now it will be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth with all those who are sons and daughters of 
Abraham, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, and will be gathered there around the throne for all eternity. That's how big the story is. It stretches on even past our day into that incredible day that we're still waiting for. These promises have yet to be fulfilled, and the best is yet to come. So in the meantime, let's appreciate all the more that we are the nations. We are the all nations that God had in mind, and we're the living fulfillment of these promises as we give our hearts to Jesus and encourage others to do the same. And let's be about the task that God called Abraham to do, to go and to be a blessing wherever we are and wherever that may take us. Father God, we lift our hearts to you this morning, and we thank you for the greatness of the story that you have written and are still writing. We thank you for these promises that you made all the way back then to that ordinary guy who wasn't expecting a thing, but you made these promises, God, and you are so faithful that you are still, thousands of years later, fulfilling those promises through every life that bows the knee to Jesus. You are still at work fulfilling these promises in our day. And God, I pray that even now you'd bring to our minds and hearts the ways in which you are calling us in the coming days to go and to be a blessing, to keep on fulfilling these promises. Lord, would you place on our minds and hearts now the names and the faces and the lives of the people that you would have us to go and be a blessing to this week. And no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how awkward it may be, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, would you help us to remember the sacrifices that Abraham made, without which the story would have been much, much different. And help us to ask you for the courage and the strength to take that first step to go and to be a blessing. God, you have blessed us so immeasurably. You have blessed us so abundantly. Would you help us now to be vessels of that blessing to other men and women and children around us in your strength and by your grace and for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.